We don't make it a prerequisite for people to be vegan to, to join our movement. If they want to play a role, we want them to participate because we they will learn. We will all learn more, but they will learn more about a, a vegan culture, you know, about speciesism and, and animal freedom and why these goals, these values ultimately lead to veganism. And a lot of people will find that in the process of working with us. And so if they don't have it initially, that's okay. They might have developed it in six months or whatever time it takes them, but we're more focused on system change than individual change. So we're allowing people to make their transformation on their own and have the focus be on the dominant institution, the system change, which is really our focus in the grassroots. What the hell is up, you guys? My name is Jamie Logan, and today I am here with Robert Grillo. He is the lead organizer from Slaughter Free Network, and he is also one of the directors of Free From Harm. And I am so excited to have him today. We connected this summer over the phone, and he's going to share with us today tips for getting active, how we can be stronger as a movement, why grassroots organizations are important, and we'll kind of just go from there. So, Robert, thank you for coming on. Welcome. It's my pleasure, Jamie. It's good to see you. You as well. We've been wanting to do this for so long, so I'm glad we could make it work. So why don't you just introduce right. yourself and, and tell me a little bit about what you do? Yeah, so um, I'm an author and speaker and an activist for all species. That's kind of my little mantra tagline. <laughs> um, I started Free From Harm in 2009 and I uh, came out of like uh, a marketing background. Prior to 2009, I was working like as a freelancer, as an art director, graphic designer um, kind of person. I also had a writing background, so I would write copy sometimes if I had opportunities to do that. But I basically, you know, jumped around from one ad agency to another or creative agency and six months here, maybe two months there, um, <clears throat> work nights in some places, crazy schedules. Um, and had a lot of fun with that. But one of the experiences that that really um, kind of helped form what I did was that I worked on food brands. And um, I saw kind of behind the scenes how how the food industry manipulates uh, consumers um, mm. in a very variety of sophisticated ways um, to kind of addict them, um, you know, addict them to certain kinds of products and animal products are definitely a big part of that. So um, I, when I got into, um, you know, the, the movement, I decided that I would focus on what skills I, I had at the time, which was, I knew about digital marketing a bit. So I thought the first thing I'll do is create a, a web presence and an online presence that we can hopefully grow. And that's how we created the Free From Harm website and social platforms. And for some years, that was kind of our, our main focus is just create a really strong uh, online presence and provide a lot of resources and interesting content for like, vegans and just the general public. And so, but then I started to realize that at a certain point, like in 2016, 17, that I really, you know, I was starting to learn a lot about grassroots movements and 
Um, I wanted to try something that was very great grassroots and local in nature. And that's how we um, started Slaughter Free Chicago with the goal of trying to uh, shut down the last 13 remaining slaughterhouses in Chicago. Mm. And we thought we had a path to do that. And so um, it became an experiment in, in grassroots organizing on a local level with the hope that that local um, you know, momentum creates something more, something broader something national, something international. And so we took cues from other movements that have done this, like the, one of the more famous ones being the civil rights movement, which started, um, they staged things in uh, Montgomery and Selma and did things that were very small scale at first, but then um, they eventually became some somewhat of an international phenomenon. So not that we're comparing ourselves like with, uh, the civil rights movement or anything, mm -hmm. but at this point, I, I no, no no delusions of grandeur to that level. But still, there's lots for us to learn and 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 implement from other movements. And so, Slaughter Free Network has become kind of a, a way to bring in people from all over our movement who who identify with a variety of different groups or not. Some don't to uh, really figure out how we could, you know, collaborate and um, learn the grassroots skills that are so lacking. We can talk about mm -hmm. that more, but I feel like there's a huge void to fill in our movement um, in terms of providing a grassroots culture and, uh, and skill training um, and community. So that's kind of what I'm about these days. Mm -hmm. And that's what's going to make our yeah. movement that much stronger. Because if we can come together and we could do effective actions as opposed to just, you know, actions that aren't having too much impact, we're going to reach animal liberation that much faster. And ultimately, we want to get vegans to become activists because there's a lot of vegans that just like to go to potlucks and, you know, attend different events that don't necessarily have any risk involved. And while I did that, you know, at first it's, if we want to see change, we do have to take risks and we do have to come together and, and get active. So I guess take us back to when you first made the connection as to what was on your plate. Why did you go vegan? Um, I think, you know, my story isn't all that unique or original or, I don't even know if it's all that interesting. It's almost kind of pedestrian to me, but I know it's not for a lot of people because unlike me, a lot of people see the footage of slaughterhouses and farms and the undercover investigations, which was what moved me immediately to, um, to take on a vegan lifestyle. Um, but a lot of people see that and don't feel compelled to, to make a decision right away. Um, but I, I felt that it was a, an immediate um, need to do that. So uh, it wasn't a hard transition for me. It wasn't a step-by-step -step thing. It was kind of an immediate thing that I, I looked back on six months later and said, wow, I've been, you know, basically, you know, vegan for six months now and I'm past that initial hurdle. And, and now it was like, okay, let's move on. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. where do we go from here? So mm -hmm. it was never like where I see a lot of people, and this is, you know, I, I mean, no disrespect, or I say this from a place of love, let's put it, put it that way. 
that I see a lot of people just kind of focused on um, the vegan identity, which, hey, it's a great accomplishment. It really is. Um, but I'd like to see more of people thinking, okay, now that, you know, where do we go from here? Like you said, um, how do we, how do we go to the next level? How do we keep growing as vegans um, into an activism kind of uh, mindset? And how do we make the movement more inclusive? Because if we want to get to that 3%, um, we, we need to also bring in non-vegans who have the potential to really kind of talk a little bit about that. What is the 3% and why do we need non-vegans fighting our cause? Like for people that may be confused by that, break it down. Mm -hmm. So it's not a hard and fast rule, but um, Erica Chenoweth with her colleagues have, have been doing an ongoing uh, set of studies about what constant how do uh, movements succeed and one of the traits that she talks about that that is needed is numbers she says numbers are needed and in some cases it's less than three percent but she studied in her evaluation of all social movements in the last 100 years no movement failed after it achieved three percent participation from the from its public and so um, that provides kind of an interesting benchmark. It's not a hard and fast rule. Some, some movements have done it with less, some needed more, uh, some didn't win at all. But, but the, the success rate was overwhelming when, when it reached 3%. And I think that there are a lot of, as, as far as your question or comment about um, how is it that we could possibly have non-vegans come in, we don't make, so, with our organization, especially the network, which is much looser, um, we don't make it a prerequisite for people to be vegan to, to join our movement. If they wanna play a role, uh, we want them to participate because we, they will learn, we will all learn more, but they will learn more about a, a vegan culture and why, um, you know, about speciesism and, and animal freedom and why that, you know, these goals, these values ultimately lead to veganism. And a lot of people will find that in the process of working with us. They'll find that vegan path. And so if they don't have it initially, that's okay. They might have uh, developed it in six months or whatever time it takes them. But we're more focused on system change than individual change. So we're allowing people to make their transformation on their own and have the focus be on this, the dominant institution, the system change, which is really our focus in the grassroots. That's amazing. And I think that that's a necessary step when trying to achieve certain goals. And I think, you know, we bring up an interesting point when it comes to making or reaching 3% of the population and having a successful movement, but what quantifies success to you? What are goals to you? Because, you know, for me, it's like, I think of it in terms of like, until all are free, none are free. So yeah, there's certain goals that we're hitting. There's definitely victories. Okay. Like this fur farm shut down, but it doesn't feel like enough to me. You know, I'm like, uh, well, if even yeah. 
if 60%, let's say, let's say less than 20% of the population eats meat. Let's say we live in a mostly vegan world or predominantly vegan world in the future. It still would not be a win to me if animals are still being slaughtered. How do you, how do you respond to that? Yeah, that's a, that's a high bar to, to try to achieve, I think, because like, if we look at other injustices and social movements, um, none of them ever actually achieved, uh, complete um, adherence like so you know racial justice movements have have we still have bigots and we still have um, you know uh, white nationalism um, it, it it's something that will it'll be a continual struggle I don't think we ever there's no linear path to complete justice and we may never get there but we could get pretty close um, with some justice movements. And I think that we just have to kind of look at this as a, it's a lifelong struggle. Uh, there's an arch, you know, like Martin Luther King said, um, you know, justice is an arch. And um, sometimes we go backwards, unfortunately. Sometimes we make incredible progress in a decade. And then sometimes we go backwards. And that's just the nature of human society. Um, we're always going to have to be in the fight and uh, for what we believe in, whether it's for humans or non-humans or the environment, the planet. And so um, we just have to, uh, I think the other part of this too is it's important to have goals that are real specific. And if we start small and achieve certain goals, then we move on to bigger ones. And um, which, you know, that's a whole other subject, but I think that we do have this grand, we should have a grand vision for the movement. Like you said, we should see animal freedom and liberation as a, as a grand vision. And then we need to also have um, real steps and a real plan for getting there. And so we don't have that. I mean, as a movement, we don't have that yet. It's just, a, that's an a incredibly complex thing that I think some groups are really getting there and some individuals have really contributed a great amount to thinking that through, but we're, we're nowhere near that, I don't think. Right, so. and I think that there's a lot of different ways that people <laughs> think that we can achieve animal liberation. So, you know, we have people that are more focused on policy. We have people that are more focused on uh, right to rescue people that are focused on social media and film. And so I think all of it is needed. I don't necessarily think it's it's like one way or the highway kind of thing. But I guess in terms of what you're doing at Slaughter Free Network, can you talk about the importance of grassroots organization? Because I feel like when we look over yeah. at other social justice movements, there were leaders in the movement. And I think to a certain extent, we do need to identify certain people to look at and be like, okay, this is somebody that could be the face of the movement. You know, there's multiple people as the faces. You have the Malcolm X's of the movement. You have the Martin Luther King's of the movement, two different approaches, both effective. So when you look at like the climate protests, you might think Greta Thunberg, you might think, you know, I mean, I know a bunch of the vegan ones, but uh, for example, with the vegan movement, it's like, who is media going to appoint to, to be able to clearly and concisely get a message across? So tell me a little bit about grassroots organizations and then um, the importance of leadership or not. Yeah, I think I think leadership is greatly important. Um, and also, uh, it doesn't, you know, 
having charismatic spokespeople, I think is probably a necessary component, but perhaps even more important than that is a rallying cry that really resonates with the public. And it could take, it could be said by many different uh, spokespeople. Um, like for example, one that was very successful was the freedom to marry. It, when, when the, um, when the gay rights movement shifted from gay rights, a rights-based message to a freedom message, uh, they took cues from other social movements, by the way. Um, I was just listening to something really fantastic this morning by Marshall Gantz, who was active in the civil rights movement. And he still talks a lot. He still does speeches. And he was talking about the power of narrative and the power of the word freedom over rights, which I found really interesting because um, freedom has so many positive associations that the public makes. And so, um, so yeah, um, that the, the importance of a rallying cry that really uh, unifies the movement, um, but also the, you know draws a lot of the public in, I think is is really. Um, is really almost more important than the spokespeople themselves. But to your other point about as far as the grassroots goes, so there's there's the outside game and the inside game. And that's that's what I've been looking at a lot lately. So the, the inside game is what 95% of our movement is engaged in. It's um, lobbying and legislation and working on the inside to try to affect change with the existing system, with the existing rule saying, okay, this is an imperfect system. It's highly flawed. It's very corrupt, but we're gonna try to make changes, meaningful changes by working within this system. We're gonna game the system, so to speak. The outside game is kind of the other side of the spectrum. And it says, this system is way too corrupt and we're not gonna have meaningful, dramatic, transformative change unless we dismantle and rebuild, re-elect, and get people in that are leaders that, that have a better, stronger vision and or sense of organization. So <clears throat> as the grassroots, we're, we're focused on the outside game because we feel that by leveraging people power, we can have a bigger impact on the outside, on the inside, on the inside players. And uh, we, we and the reason one of the reasons for that is because outside players don't have any special interest to worry about. If you're an inside game player, you might have a relationship with with a high powered politician um, like Elizabeth. Uh, what's her name? Who's who's the um, New Jersey guy that um, oh, Cory Booker? Cory Booker. OK, or, perfect. Or look example. at er Eric Adams and, and Rachel Atchison is yeah. a amazing vegan activist and plant-based, you know, person that has managed to push policies into place in right. New York. Yeah. So like if you're, if you're an inside game player and you have these connections, you got to be careful about what you say and what you do, because if you do something to piss off those special interests, um, you might lose you you might lose those allies whereas the outside game doesn't have special interests like that they're free to engage in activism that is edgier that is uh 
that could really get attention in a way that uh, inside game players can't do because of their how careful they have to be. So that's one reason. Um, but the other thing is that um, most of the people that are the voices that are marginalized, the 99% of people that would like to join our movement are on the outside and they have no power. They've been pushed out of the, the system. And so by leveraging them, their sympathies and showing them how the animal movement is their movement too. It's all the same. We're all part of the same paradigm. Um, and we all, you know, we need to uh, bring us all together. Um, there's a tremendous potential there to leverage uh, working people. And um, to back that up is this new Gallup poll. I don't know if you saw it, but it showed that lower income people, poor people basically, or semi-poor, are twice as likely to uh, become vegetarian or to be sympathetic to our movement, which I thought was really telling. And I, I mean, a lot of people would say, well, I wonder why that is. And I, I would, you know, we can speculate, but I, I think one big reason is that people that have experienced hardship, financial or otherwise, are generally more empathic, right? It makes sense. Whereas people that are more privileged and are more desensitized to the suffering of others. Makes perfect sense to me, but yeah. So um, outside game, inside game. We're, we're just going to contribute from the outside. And we wanna do bold, creative, innovative stuff that is not repetitive, that captures the media and public's attention and wins their support in ways that are unexpected. I guess that's the best way to put it. That's amazing. And so why don't you give me a few examples of what you guys do and some victories or challenges that you faced while doing those type of actions? Yeah. Well, I love the way you talked about uh, defining success and failure, because in my mind, the failures that we have we are not something to be ashamed of. They're something to the to value, you know, to have to, that have great value in learning from. And, you know, sometimes failures shake us up enough to really be the only things that really change us for the better and make us stronger activists. And so, yeah, we win some and we lose some. And so an, an example of kind of a dramatic win is we got a major investor to divest from the slaughterhouse industry. Um, he was investing millions of dollars. And in fact, there was one project in Milwaukee, which was a dairy cow slaughterhouse that was kind of, um, you know, basically a place where dairy cows ended up. They were going to build a state-of-the-art $75 million slaughterhouse. And as a result of our pressure campaign, we found out who was actually behind this. It wasn't the meat company. It wasn't Strauss. They only owed a small portion of their company. They sold most of it to this investor in Texas. And so we followed the money and we learned who was really behind the, the money financing this. And um, we, we launched a campaign. We, we tried many ways of getting his attention uh, and it didn't work until we got more escalated. And we did a protest at his home and it was very embarrassed at his mansion. Um, it was very embarrassing to him, and but that's what prompted him to talk to me. And long story short, we had a very productive 45-minute call. 
And um, the first thing he did was complain about our tactics and say, you know, I, I don't, um, I'm, I'm upset with the fact that you guys thought you had to go to those lengths to get my attention on this. And I said, well, to be honest, nothing else worked beforehand. We tried a lot of different things. We invited you to have a civil closed door meeting. And we, we had hundreds of our supporters contact you and tell you, urge you to divest from this slaughterhouse industry. We tried lots of things. And then we decided we needed to escalate. So we talked all this through. And bottom line was, it was a very productive phone call. And he, um, he said, I really respect what you do. He also wanted to impress upon me that he was a very good person, you know, that he drives a Tesla and he doesn't eat meat very often. You know what I mean? So I got all that. But the five days later, they, they made an announcement. The company made an announcement and said they're divesting from, from the slaughterhouse and the meat industry. And that was a huge, um, a wonderful victory. It was, a, it was an example of how we could influence powerful people, which is really, to me, the most exciting part of activism. And so um, sometimes it happens and sometimes these people are very difficult to access. But um, when you get in their space, and that's, that's the important thing, we have to get in front of them. They can ignore our emails, they can ignore our phone calls, but, but we have to get in front of them to get our message out, to get a dialogue going. And sometimes that's going to be uncomfortable and awkward for them, but they have to know that we can be in their space and we will not be ignored. Once they realize that, they're likely to come to the negotiation table and say, okay, what do you guys want from us? That is such a beautiful story. I love, love, love that. And guys, for those of you that are listening, take note. This is a perfect example of a disruptive tactic that really went well. And I'll give you just another example because I have this actually in the back of my screen here. Uh, we yeah. are using disruptions and disruptive tactics at my job, Generation Vegan, to try to get Earthshot, which is Prince William's new environmental foundation, to offer a million dollars to a plant-based category. They currently don't have a plant-based category. They have five categories working towards bettering the environment, cleaning the air, you know, wow. removing pollution from the waters, which are all great, but they don't have a category that addresses advancing a plant-based food system. So we, right. you know, first off started just by social media posts, and then we took it up a notch actually like a few weeks ago where we went to the Earthshot convention in Manhattan in New York at the Plaza Hotel. And we stood outside with like a massive check. And finally, we heard back yeah. from them. We got a magazine, a magazine article written in people, which was huge. And that reached a lot of people like Billie Eilish and her, her mother and her team. And so it really started getting a lot of media. And lo and behold, we just had a call with Earthshot last week and things are in motion. I can't say too much more yet. But uh, it, this is just a, a perfect example. Or you look at the celebrity disruptions. I, for years, have right. been calling celebrities out for wearing fur. And next day, they'll make a post, I don't wear fur anymore, or hashtag faux fur, or they don't like it. So you're absolutely yeah. right. Sometimes in order to create change, things have to get uncomfortable. Yeah, that's awesome that you guys, um, you know, applied that escalation strategy to to that. That's a cool campaign. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I look forward to hearing how that develops. Um, we actually have a, a, some celebrity 
uh, targets ourselves. Um, do you know Lisa Vanderpump of, of course. Vanderpump Rules and for former housewife of Beverly Hills? Yeah. She has built a, a real, I mean, for a 60 plus year old woman, I have to hand it to her. She has built a kind of a media empire and a restaurant empire. She is building a hospitality brand that Isn't is Isn't she like a formidable. dog rescuer too? And yeah, she's in that too. She has a dog rescue foundation that rescues dogs from the global dog meat trade. But sells meat okay. at her restaurant. Exactly. So mm. she's kind of like a perfect person for us because she's already admitted to us that she understands where we're coming from. She's a vegetarian Okay. Um, and right. And she's, we've had interactions with her. We've had to just, we've had to have face to faces and it doesn't even have to necessarily be a disruption. This was just one time we just had a street interaction with her. We were on Hollywood Boulevard and she, we knew she was going to be somewhere and our activists went uh, and followed her on the sidewalk and talked to her while she was going into one of her restaurants. And, but the, we're going to have more, more, um, uh, interactions with her in the future there's something big coming up oh my god um but but yeah someone like her um she so that the great thing about a celebrity target is you're almost assured media coverage right Mm -hmm. because like if she drops her hat on hollywood boulevard the like tmz is going to cover that and they'll cover anything she does so if there's an interaction between activists about animals and her dog rescue passion and the fact that she um, we've exposed one of her chicken suppliers is one of the most abusive um, uh, animal abusers we've ever seen. Oh, my God. If, when we get that out and the media sees that they love conflict, they love controversy. So we feel that, yeah, there's a huge potential to reach a big audience because you've got a celebrity that's almost assured coverage. It's brilliant. It's so, so yeah, brilliant. Love- and I'm so excited to see where this goes. My, you know, Zoom is running out here. And so kind of just as we begin to wrap things up, I guess, can you just tell everybody how they can get more involved with you and how they can just get involved in their own cities in general? Yeah, well, um, join, join us at slaughterfreenetwork.org. Sign up so you can get um, our alerts and um, learn about what events we've got coming up and what campaigns we're looking to, you know, get people involved in. And yeah, start there and join us on our social platforms as well, um, because we have a lot of activity going on there. Amazing. Amazing. This is so helpful. And I really hope that it inspires people to, you know, take these risks. I think in order to achieve our goals, we are going to have to put our own freedom and and safety at times at risk. And, um, you know, there's, there's a place for everyone in this movement. And I understand if yeah. somebody's not comfortable getting arrested or if somebody's not comfortable, um, you know, doing an undercover investigation or, or, or rescue at right. night, like when nobody's looking, I get that there are people that are going to yeah. be willing to do that, but you know, there's, it. we live in America where you can protest on the street that is completely legal. And so you can right. also do art and help us make posters. You can also donate if you're in a position to. So there's an endless way for people to get involved. 
Yes, there's a role for everybody. And another thing I think we should remember is that no nobody's freedom was ever achieved easily. It was always mm -hmm. fought. We always have to fight for democracy. We have to fight for freedoms. Otherwise, they get taken away. And it's it, there's no easy way. It takes it takes sacrifice. It takes people um, taking on roles sometimes that is not in their perfect comfort zone. And it helps us grow personally when we mm -hmm. do that. And if we care deeply about this issue, then then we have to do certain things to get that change. So I'm really grateful to know you and for everything that you're doing. And we're just going to keep hitting them left and right. And one thing that we have that these industries don't have is we have passion and we have purpose. We're not in this for the money. We're not in this because it's our job to uphold these big organizations and companies. We are here because we live and breathe this this social justice issue we we will die fighting for change if we have to hopefully we reach animal liberation before that but um i think yeah. with with brilliant people like you in the movement and all these other people we are going to get to um a place i i have i'm hopeful for it so thank you so much for coming on and guys go check out slaughter free network and it, how can people contact you if they have questions robert um, feel free to uh, email me at robert at freefromharm.org. Happy to, happy to chat. Thank you so much. All right, guys. Until next time. Bye.